The year is 1989. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the podcast and reading club where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined today by the only individual that I've had to slap multiple Comics Code Authority censors <laughs> on the pod. It's Zach Dean. Every time he's cussing, and he's cussing a lot, I slap a big CCA logo on him on the screen here on the video chat to shut that baby down. Zach, aside from your filthy mouth, how are you doing today? Good. I thought you were going to say the only comic book podcast host I've had to slap multiple times. It's like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, no, I would never. We're too very, far away. Very good uh, but yeah, we're listening to, uh, you're, you're listening to 1989 Part 6. Okay, this is the final part of our 1989 conversation. And then, of course, we'll do a variant episode next week and then take it on into the 90s, baby. Here we go. Get out your Nirvana records. Cue up your pavement. Listen to your Pearl Jam. All I have, Zach, are uh, early 90s bands that I yeah. like. That's yeah, the was, only 90s I know. Uh, like, it was thing like that I know. Pixies immediately jumped to mind for me, too. Pixies is like late yeah. 80s. I think by the 90s, the Pixies are already they're already on a downward uh, slope. Thinking. Unless you're a big Boston Nova guy, which, uh, which fair, I suppose. I think that's maybe oh, 90, wow. 91. Yeah, Doolittle's 89. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I no, I, I know everything. Uh, so, this is a semi Marvel related question. What mm-hmm. record label did the Pixies sign with in the late 80s? Ooh. It's kind of Marvel related. Uh, wouldn't be Matt. Well, Matador. There's got to be mm-hmm. a Matador in Marvel. Um, it's not. No, it's pop. more obvious. Uh, more obvious. Not Capital. Uh, Bat Rock Records. I don't know. What is it? It's Bat Rock Records. You got it. No, it's uh, Electra Records. With Electra. A K, with a K, yeah. Nice. All right, this is nothing. I don't know why we're doing this. <laughs> I mean, that was that was a cool bit of trivia. We don't often yeah. have that. But no, what we typically do is we go through uh, comics and curated lists year by year. This is the last one for 1989, which means we're talking <clears throat> damage control, sensational She-Hulk, and a very special patron-requested uncanny x-men issue now if you would like to see the issues that we're reading you can do so in the show notes you can also see the issues that are coming up for 1990 part one they're in the show notes you can also find the full reading lists and guides uh, by backing us over at patreon.com slash my marvelous year uh, that's the easiest way and the most beneficial to us so thank you to everyone who has done it it's extremely generous but you will get a full guide in addition to some other cool benefits if you go on over there to patreon.com slash my marvelous year um without further ado zach do you have anything up top you want to talk about before we dig into a pretty actually a very fun batch of comics yeah yeah uh, great, damage control great batch, sensational yeah. she-hulk and then this uxm issue yeah all killer no filler here more or less um I, oh i want to point out damage control was actually 
uh, requested by another Patreon backer. So we got a lot of Patreon backing here. Uh, Kyle, he he requested, I don't actually remember which issue he requested. It was just one of these. Um, and then we decided just to do the whole four miniseries because it was so much yeah, fun. Yeah, we'll do the whole dang mini. Now, I, yeah. I will also call out with Damage Control, which we're going to start with. If you're looking in Marvel Unlimited, which I know yeah, a, whole right. a lot I, of you are, I started this is volume one, yeah. which only runs in 1989. Now, there's a second volume of Damage Control, which also starts in 1989, but that one runs from 1989 through 1990. That's some Acts of Vengeance tie-ins that actually yeah. we will be talking about in our 1990 Part 1 episode as well, okay? So we are going to read those, but you're reading them out of order if you start there. Basically, yeah. uh, if you're getting to Acts of Vengeance... Now, you've read the wrong comics. Uh, go back, do the yes. 89 Yeah, I started that, actually. I got a few pages in, and I was like, something's weird here, right? Like, this is it, Acts of Vengeance. Like, this is post-Acts of Vengeance. We can't be reading this. Dave Dave wouldn't have made this mistake. He's too methodical. Um, and I was right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Love it when you compliment me. Well, I love it when you call me big methodical. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the in the '90s, a lot of, like as we get to this decade, I did go by Methodical Man. That was my alias for a big chunk of that. And I, as I was running with uh, with the Wu Tongue Clan, not as big as as some of these others. Um, we, we mostly just kind of made tongues and like silly photos, bah, right? But I was Methodical Man. Uh, all right, so we can feel free to edit that out. <laughs> Damage Control, 1989, one to four. All right, let's get into it. Now, you know why I was super excited to read these, Zach? I was super excited to read these because part one, yeah. I haven't read them before. Part two, written by Dwayne McDuffie, who is a comics legend, passed away too soon, uh, not that long ago, which is 2000, too bad. 2011, um, yeah. But Dwayne McDuffie is, is a huge name in comics uh, as one of the kind of preeminent and definitely leading like black voices in the American comic scene. Uh, Dwayne McDuffie would go on to found Milestone Media, which is where we get such things as like Static Shock, and also had a huge role to play in like DC animated stuff, you know, like like Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, that obviously people super love. Um, but this Marvel work is the first that I believe, yeah, this is pretty sure this is the first we've read of his in Marvel, Damage Control 89. It's a very fun premise. Yeah. And it's a pretty goofy, lighthearted kind of like sitcom-esque take on like, hey, who are the people who clean up the messes that all the superheroes leave behind in their giant battles, right? That is the premise. And then each issue kind of takes on different wings of the Marvel sphere. I don't think it's like lights out amazing, no, but, but it's it's hard to feel anything other than just kind of joy reading yeah, something that fun. is so light, light on its feet. You yeah, know? It, it's very light on its feet. And it's only four issues, which is like perfect. You know, it's kind of just like... If, uh, like, if, if you saw that this was, like, 45 issues, you'd be like, well, I don't know how you're going to really stretch that concept out. Because um, even here, like, one of these issues at least feels a little bit, like, more, l less essential than the others. I think, like, three maybe kind of dragged three, a little bit yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, but, like, besides that, like, uh, no, I, th I think it's it's totally, like, I I mean, it's funny because we're, we're about to read another comedy comic like sensational she hulk is about mm -hmm. as comedic maybe slightly less comedic um but like yeah it's interesting reading these comedy comics back to back a, a few things i want to point out about Dwayne mcduffie um yeah i don't know him at all really i don't know if i've ever read any of his comics i have not read static shock uh, unfortunately which i should really get to do i should read more of that milestone stuff which is getting added to dc universe infinite which is pretty cool I'm very happy about um, yeah. that because that was something I called out uh, last year in some columns at Comic Book Herald was like how wild it is that you can't read 
icon or any of these like you know really preeminent black voices in american comics on dc uh, yeah. infinite now and uh they're either adding it or they've added it so that's a they, they're adding some of it in like when they launched dc universe infinite just way too wordy of a title um some of the some of the comics i don't remember i think icon um was like one of the first issues added in there so um yeah. two other things he had a master's degree in physics which is interesting to do that and then immediately <laughs> move into comic books um, yeah sure uh, and then um, after after he died, comedian Kegel Michael Key found out he was his half brother. <laughs> wow! <laughs> interesting. Yeah, isn't that? It's a funny little like. Uh, that is there. a that's a odd um, coincidence. Oh, and yeah, then that's interesting. Once once he became an editor at Marvel, I'm just reading off his wiki now. Once he became an editor at Marvel, <laughs> oh, we couldn't tell when you told us he had a master's in physics. I just uh, uh, my mom. There were a, no clues. My mom has a master's in physics. So I'm just. Uh, oh, you were reading the list of. Thing people who are like my mom, mm-hmm. right? Is yeah. that what the that was the title of the wiki? Yeah, there's this wiki page. There's like there's this website that takes the uh, like personal wiki pages, and then you put mm-hmm. in like all of your mother's, and it has to be your mother's. You all put in all, all of your mother's personal information. I've tried for other relatives. You. Yeah, yeah, only it, it, moms. It knows somehow. Anyway, once he uh, once he started becoming an editor at Marvel, he submitted a comic called Teenage Negro Ninja Thrashers, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> making fun mm-hmm. of Marvel's treatment of black characters, um, and. Uh, I wish that was something we could read. Uh, that does not. I don't. Maybe think it ever, is. Maybe no, we can. Maybe we can find it, it somewhere on the internet. Um, but yeah, no, we're talking damage control, and yeah, no, Dwayne McDuffie's a, yeah. a big deal and a big influence in comics. And th- these comics necessarily like they're not. Um, you wouldn't necessarily know the influence that he's going to have, right? Or like, oh, like yeah, sure. this guy's yeah. gonna go on to find milestone, right? Like it's they play very lighthearted. I mean, one thing they do do is they integrate. Um, characters of color pretty seamlessly and pretty effortlessly, sure. I think, and don't and and very like kind of with a casualness, you know, kind of like a lack of effort that maybe other writers wouldn't necessarily pull off. You know, they might try a little too hard to be like, you know, let's give these characters of color like stories related to their color. Here, they're just people, right, and they're engaging. L- their literally, something I'm just less. reading about him. A quote from him is just like, when you have an Asian or a black character in a comic. They represent Asian and black characters, but white characters don't have that responsibility placed on their shoulders. Yeah. Which is one of the yeah. reasons he wanted to do Milestone. So, all right, I'm closing his wiki page, I promise. No, please. I would I would appreciate it if everything you respond to what I say with today <laughs> is a direct wiki quote. Um, but yeah, no, Damage Control, like, again, I the first issue is pretty good. It's about a robot tearing through the city, a bunch of heroes uh, stopping it, it leaving a huge mess, <clears throat> Spider-Man literally getting trapped inside the robot, well, which is the, great. the premise of Damage Control? Like, what is the, you know, what is Damage Control? Well, I said it's a it's a oh. group, it's an organization that cleans up the mess that superheroes leave behind. Sorry, you were too busy reading Wiki- uh, on Mamapedia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty clear what you were doing um but yeah no the first episode or the first issue is all about this robot the second episode is about trying get to get dr doom to pay his bills uh which is great and and like that, a that spiritual the, follow-up the to luke cage number nine very much like, so you know? yeah 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 and i love that like ben grimm hears that dr ben grimm <clears throat> does another funny joke of him going into damage control and like Basically, he causes so much destruction, and he knocks down a couple door frames on his way in. Um, but you know, like his insurance won't cover the damages, mm-hmm. and he has to you know, kind of like threaten them to uh, to to get them to cover damage control helps him out, which is uh, just a funny thing because we used to like make fun of that in the Silver Age that Ben Grimm always used to burst through literally through the doors <laughs> of every uh, room oh, he yeah. entered in, you know, regardless of if it was the president or uh, a five star general. <clears throat> But yeah, he finds that Doctor Doom, th- this uh, this accountant, has gone to get Doctor Doom to pay his bill, and like 
so good because it, it stays like it's a comedy, but it does stay in character for Doctor Doom. I think where Doctor Doom is like, no, I'm not gonna like kill the bill collector. We owe money. Like, do you take personal yeah. checks? Like, I'm gonna pay, of course. Like Doctor Doom has his honor. He's not gonna bilk on his debts. And uh, and then like the you know by the end like offers the accountant a job. <laughs> <laughs> because he's just like yeah because he's impressed with his with his fortitude and him yeah, just which being is, direct and asking the, the for Doctor it Doom it, it love, does work yeah. it comedy doom is a is a tough thing because you run that risk of of turning into like you know those those really bad marvel <clears throat> mad magazine ripoff kind of things or like making Foom him or whatever like, too arch yeah yeah um this this doesn't quite cross that line which i think is effective but yeah i mean all in all like it's there was rumors for a while. So DC had that sitcom Powerless. I don't know if you ever watched that. Nope. Um it was the, it was a very similar presence. It was about like I think it was about like DC Universe kind of like marketing agency or whatever they were. They were like some kind of white collar, you know, business. And uh and it didn't do super well, but it was actually I thought kind of fun. And then Marvel at one point kind of had like a similar like, "Oh yeah, we're going to do damage control," which maybe that's still going to come on Disney Plus. I would not be surprised at all because <laughs> If anything feels like it should be a TV show, you know, it's, yeah. it's damage control. Like, it's yeah. just bouncing through every corner of the Marvel Universe. Again, uh, issue three, they deal with Iron Man. Issue four, they deal then with uh, the fallout from Inferno, actually, and the X-Mansion being destroyed, which is that's, a really good post-Inferno issue. And that, that's a good Danger Room thing where, like, they, they upload some, like, comedy uh, skits <clears throat> or some, like, tapes with comedy on them. Yeah. to the danger room so like groucho Marx is running around like throwing pies and handing colossus a big bomb with the word bomb on it you know and like yeah all all these kind of like bugs bunny slapstick things are attacking the x-men that's, uh, that's a fun issue yeah it's not like yeah it's definitely not like scathing or like no, no, no. bust a gut laughing you know laughable but it's all like oh this is this is entertaining and it's silly and i get the gags there are a handful of things that definitely excuse me, definitely made me smile. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of damage control, probably the biggest thing for me is like, it's a little, it, it's a four issue mini. So you kind of have yeah. to bake this into it, but it's like, it's very reliant on what the scene is, what the hero injection is, you know, yes. Spider-Man yeah. being trapped in a robot, uh, the X-Mansion being destroyed, the characters themselves don't get, like, it's tough to flesh that out in four issues, absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. But like, I, I could not have, without looking them up, have told you the damage control units names no you know, yeah, they individual don't. characters names. I, I mean there's there's like the new executive there's the foreman there's the intern. you know them by type you know them by archetype you don't know them by person you know who yeah, they are exactly. right I, yeah. I think at least yeah. i didn't yeah by the end of this um which which again isn't to say like they're badly written or badly established it's just they're brand new in the marvel universe and they only have a limited you know uh window here to kind of like convince you who they are here's something i was <clears throat> i was thinking about this before we before i even like read these comics this was just bouncing around my head how much harder it is to write a comedy comic versus oh, like yeah. a traditional superhero comic because i was thinking yeah. about like <clears throat> i was thinking about the process of writing a comic and i was like i could write a comic like it wouldn't be good but i think i could write like probably a mediocre superhero issue right like a very meat and potatoes run of the mill and it would take me way too long you know like i'm not a good yeah right or a fast writer, easier but like, said than done but it's yes but I, possible, but i i feel I like i could do something that was not like embarrassingly bad but ask me to write a comedy comic and like you would that get embarrassed for incredibly sure. yeah. daunting like yeah no i because I, I just like the stakes are higher right like when we read a you know well, it's so, like it's like doing stand up, right? It's like right, getting up yeah. on stage, and it's like you've got the deafening silence of no one laughing. It's really hard to do. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's it's impressive, even when it works for just like 
yeah, this was this is enjoyable. You know, like it didn't make me laugh out loud or like marvel at the the comedy, but like just that it worked and none of it made me groan. <laughs> You know, and like, and I had a, a decent time with it. Like, I think that's impressive. I mean, I think it just has to do with comics. And it, it's, it is hard to do timing and you need comedic timing for jokes, right? Otherwise, you're relying on one-liners and one-liners are usually not laugh out loud funny, at least to me, right? So like, it is, it's based on that, like, scene building and comedic timing and visual humor. And that's, that's tough to pull off. It's tougher to pull off than a normal dramatic plot, I think. Yes, I, I would agree. I, I have a very high appreciation for comics that are laugh out loud funny because it's such a hard thing to do. I mean, we've probably hyped this up in the past, but like Hellions, the ongoing from Marvel's great at yeah, this. Four kids walk into a bank is a favorite of both of ours. That yeah, is a laugh out yeah. loud, bust a gut funny kind of work. But again, like they aren't they are not super com- um, common within Marvel, especially just because yeah. that's a hard thing to pull off. I think the one thing damage control does really well, well, a few things, but I want to bounce off what you just said. Visually, it sells the gags. Ernie Colon on pencils, Bob mm-hmm. Wyatt on inks, John Wellington on colors are are the ones doing that, um, and they do so pretty successfully. It also, the thing it probably gets the best is it gets the Marvel Universe. It gets the mm-hmm. space that it's playing with yeah. and knows, like, hey, if we're going to do this construction company, essentially, within the Marvel U, how can we make best use of Marvel Universe gags? And it's pretty good at that. Like, I can envision... The 2021 relaunch of this series with Chip Zdarsky writing a curled up Spider-Man trapped inside a robot, you know, mm-hmm. and it coming across a lot funnier because our sensibilities are different than, than a lot of readers in 1989, right? But I can envision that same gag yeah. playing out oh, just with different I, like scripting. I, I mean, I think my favorite joke was the damage control guy takes that enormous robot and like programs it to fold up into a car and Spider-Man's mm-hmm. inside. And he's like, oh, God, you've killed Spider-Man. And he's like, no, he's in the trunk. And that that was a fun joke, like that little subversion and just like a twist of him, Spider-Man popping out of the trunk totally humiliated that really worked yeah 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 speaking of senses of humor yep that i think are pretty effective yeah we have the launch here of another new ongoing now this one's going to go more than a mini it's good it is an ongoing sensational she hulk this is jen walter's official first solo ongoing she had a graphic novel before this point which is written i don't know if it's drawn by john Byrne, but it's definitely written by him um and obviously we know john Byrne uh um brought she hulk into his fantastic four run right and kind yeah. of to my mind, kind of like builds up what the Cre- character is going. I mean, to kind be, of created right? the character, right? Because like Savage, we we read some um, Savage She Hulk, right? Which mm-hmm. are you sure that's not that series? Didn't I think that series was her first ongoing, right? Yeah, when I said it's her first ongoing, I clearly ignored the literal 25-issue uh, introduction right, of the okay. character, yeah. but there's a reason for that, and it's because I don't hold it in super high I mean, esteem. She I doesn't suppose. really have much of a unique personality there. She's kind of a like a more demure. Hulk, but then she kind of loses control and becomes big and hulkish. And that's not funny. I think John Byrne, like, nailed down her personality, which is that she doesn't lose control as the Hulk. She stays as the Hulk all the time. Or she stays mm-hmm. as She-Hulk, rather. Um, which I don't really know if she has to. Or not all the time, but, like, she, it's like Jen Walters likes being She-Hulk. Right, exactly. Like, that is clear. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and, like, kind of gives her this, like, she's playful. She's... I don't yeah. know, ambitious, yeah. she's, uh, like, sensitive, she's funny, right? Like, she feels like a really fleshed out, like, fun character to be around. And uh, and, and like, she's a, a super competent lawyer, right? right? Yeah, and exactly. you have that angle as yeah. well. So, like, it, it becomes this suddenly very interesting character with a with a interesting premise. And then I think what Sensational She-Hulk does with that, um, to my mind, fairly successfully. I don't know how long it's super successful at this or, like, to what degree. But, again, it, like, it bakes in 
like the lightheartedness in the comedy, and especially the thing it does better than than anything in Marvel post Stan and Jack had done is the meta comics elements, right? Like yeah. you've got your covers with your covers with your big dialogue bubbles, right, and talking directly to the reader, which I always kind of enjoy. Excalibur's doing the same thing um, around this time as well, and then you have within the comic. Burn gets more inventive with meta stuff that, again, like, like today, we tend to associate with, like, Harley Quinn, Deadpool, Gwenpool kind of comics. Um, She-Hulk beat them all to it by miles, and there's some stuff here that's really clever. Uh, it's and, really, and just really fun it. stuff. And the thing is, it never feels like it's being, um, I don't know, he, he seems to balance it really well between, like, hey, there's a real story going here, right? Like, there's a real comic book issue happening here. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, every once in a while, She-Hulk just makes a little aside, like, directly to the reader, right? Like, and it works. It doesn't feel too cheeky, right? It doesn't feel too proud of itself. I don't know. I don't want to say it's exactly like Fleabag, but they share (laughs) DNA. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sure. I I never thought about that. That's a good comparison. Yeah, I mean, like, because I I feel like meta meta is, it's really easy to do. I think it's really hard to do well. <laughs> it's really easy to do wrong. Yeah. Yes, I mean, exactly. Right, I mean, it, version of that. it's a very easy thing to do because all you have to do is be like, because I feel like the, avo- uh, there's a there's a really good YouTube video about video game criticism that was just talking about this um, called uh, meta micro videos or meta micro games. And it was um, saying like meta is the easiest thing in the world to do because all you do is stop resisting the things you kind of naturally want to do. Right. Like actors resist looking into the camera and speaking to the viewer right like you have to pretend to be natural and and you give up that kind of like what feels natural um so you know like trying to speak in a naturalistic voice directly to the reader is easier you know it's it's easier writing an article than it is writing fiction i think i mean it it, or i don't know if that's true but it's easier trying to write in like your own voice than a fictionalized voice i think in some some ways um so like I think that it pulls off that balance really well. And then the jokes are really funny. Like the, um, let me see. Well, they're, they're very self-aware of a comics reading audience and the types of like, and and again, kind of taking tropes and spinning it, flipping them on their head and and having She-Hulk call out like, Hey, I bet we're about to find out who the big bad of the next issue is, you know, like, but like, kind of like sassily and side-eyeing you the reader Mm -hmm. and then us as the readers being like yeah we are a smart audience we do know that because we read so many comics it just makes you feel like you're in the know and like you're in on the joke in a way that again like other comics aren't really doing again Excalibur is a comedy book right now it's not doing this kind of self-aware critique of the medium i mean the gag in this that i love the most and i have a feeling you're probably the same is what i mentioned in the intro which is like you know she hulk's it's, uh dress is about to get ripped or whatever it is it's, and it's the end of the issue that, and she's like how did you just had this big fight with Stiltman? like how did your dress not rip at all it's perfect you know and she's like yeah. oh yeah check the label and the label on her dress is the comics code authority right it's really smart incredible joke like one one of the best single punchlines in com maybe the best single like punchline in marvel we've ever had like it's such a good clever joke Um, and you did we did bury the lead there which you just mentioned which is issue number four is on my best Stiltman comics of all time list, it's, which you can find over on comicbookherald.com. It is now. It is more. It is far more of a sensational She-Hulk issue than a Stiltman issue. It is also a fantastic example of Burn. Like I, I actually think issue four is probably my favorite of the bunch because yes, it's him yeah. fully leaning into like, oh, 
this is what I can do now. Like I can call out, you know, the spatial and temporal transitions that we make between panels they, and they, like how I get from one place to another they crazy step, fast. Like, yeah, the Wheezy, her new boss, uh, boss or assistant, I'm not sure, um, new coworker and her like are like, all right, come on, let's go have lunch. And then they literally step across the panels and like Wheezy pulls her through like the panel barriers and She-Hulk says something like, oh, you'll have to teach me how to do that transition. And then, like, at the end of one of these, you see one of the word bubbles, uh, you know, transitioning scenes, and it just says, and so, and She-Hulk is looking at the word bubble just being like, huh, this is why uh, John Byrne's not much of a writer, huh? Like, something like that. Like, the transition's like that. Or, God, one of my favorite ones is um, She-Hulk meets her new boss, who's this, like, very handsome man, and she gets all, like, lightheaded. She gets faint when she meets him. And then uh, she goes to go home, and Wheezy tells her, like, oh, yeah, he's married with kids. And she's like, when did that happen? She's like, I don't know, just now. I guess we just established it. It's the first time it's been mentioned. And then She-Hulk starts climbing out of the panel at John Byrne. She's like, Byrne, what the hell are you thinking doing that to me? Like, introducing the romantic lead and then having him be married. Like, there's a playfulness with this that's so good. And, like, I don't know, the She-Hulk character, like, he writes her, she's so charming. Like, the, uh, the issue where she's, like... This really reminded me, I was talking, comparing his West Coast Avengers last week to um, the Justice League International, and one thing I didn't call out where they massively differ is Justice League International has that, like, thing with facial expressions, right? Like, that book has these really well done, very human, very, like, well-studied facial expressions that it uses to great effect, like close-ups on single panels with people's facial expressions just to, like, put across the emotions of the scene. Yeah, he doesn't really do that in West Coast Avengers. He does it with She-Hulk all the time. He like has one little series of panels here where she's <laughs> beheaded, kind of, and uh, and she's trying to like tell jokes in the meantime, and it's very funny. And just like he pauses on her face, looking really sheepish that she just told a really corny joke, and it totally yeah. sells the moment of just somebody being like telling a joke and then being like, huh, huh, like it's yeah, it's really good stuff and kind of not like anything we've seen in Marvel. Like Marvel doesn't use facial like you know these zoom ins on faces just to express like stuff like that these these really like nuanced expressions um yeah i mean for for my money i would say these these issues are probably post x-men collaboration with claremont like Mm -hmm. my favorite burn stuff i just think they're the most inventive and the most confident in what they're doing you know because again at this point like john Byrne knows how to make comics right yeah, like he's yeah, done yeah. enormous things and this one it does it it almost feels like an indie almost passion project i guess which is the thing you can do when you step back to a character that doesn't have all eyes on them you know when yeah, you're writing yeah. the avengers you don't have that freedom and that liberty when you're writing jen walters who has had again one you know solo ongoing that i forgot about and at this point wasn't in a book essentially you know you can do things you can get inventive and you can have fun um it's not you know again like it, not to oversell like it changed comics or anything, but it's it's a very influential comic if you look I, at what Jen Walter is going to be yeah. from here on. And then again, like I said, like Deadpool is is but a glimmer in Liefeld and Simonson and Nicias's eye at this point, you know? Like mm-hmm. that sort of stuff was not super again, and Stan and Jack did this first, right? We we saw them do it in Marvel. Sure. All like a self-insert, bring themselves into the narrative. It's it it's in the DNA of Marvel Comics. Yeah. She-Hulk's just the first series that I've read uh in Marvel where they just said where Byrne essentially just says, like, yeah, that's actually just like gonna be all the time. Let's like, take it and, and let's here. take it a huge step forward too, right? Like Stan Jack didn't have like we didn't read this issue, but the next one, I think number five, she literally tears a page into the yeah. next page and then runs across the advertisements, like chases across 
in advertisements. And I I love that stuff. I mean, I know there are readers who are bothered by meta kind of narrative sometimes, or like it can. I've seen complaints, and it always sort of bewilders me because they're like, oh, it took me out of the story or whatever. It's like it's the writer being too clever. I I sincerely appreciate that stuff. 100% of the time, even if it doesn't work because they're trying something and they're trying to be different with the story. I mean, I think you were more down on the Stan and Jack stuff when we read in the Silver Age where you were like, yeah, this can feel a little too cheeky. It doesn't feel appropriate here. I, um, no, I, I think, and, and I feel can, like my memories are that I liked it most of the time. Maybe, maybe that's true. But like, I I feel like I like that most of the time, but some, some meta stuff can just get like, it, I feel like you have to be doing I'm not something. saying it can't be bad. I'm just saying I tend to like it. I tend yeah. to like the attempt. Sure. Yeah. It's just something that, that clicks with you. Yeah. It, it just, ha- I mean, it has to be something where I feel like, you're doing something fun and fresh, right? I see stuff in the um, the 2000s doing this where it's just like, oh, this is a less interesting version of what She-Hulk is doing now. And it's yeah. 20 years later and you're just, it, and it feels more indulgent, right? Like this never feels indulgent, which is, I, I think, just a, a real testament to like how, how well this works. Um, The other thing I just want to talk about briefly, well, one, issue number four, I think is one of the best like single issues we've ever read. I think it's like, very close to like a perfect you know it's a stiltman issue don't you i know it really hurts me to say it's kind of a perfect issue for me like the jokes all the jokes are just consistently so good the action is very good right like even the visuals and the action on stiltman absolutely and like we just talked last time we recorded yeah we just talked about those columns of panels you know and, and his legs pounding her down and like in her head pushing down into a subway tunnel and then to like show the subway train hitting her. He does it from the side yeah. inside the train and you just see her head dragging through the subway car. It's just a really, even if that was in a normal superhero comic, that's a really creative, inventive way to show some action. And in yeah. this thing, it like, it just makes the whole thing super fun. The other thing I just want to talk about is like, Shiok is such a fun character. I feel like one of the first characters that feels like, um, Kind of like a really fleshed out female character getting to lead her own book. I'm trying to think of like another female lead that feels this like realized where the point is not necessarily that she's a female. Like there's definitely a little bit of like her clothes get shot off of her, but it doesn't never really feels leering and like gross and exploitative. Like she's a sexual character, uh, but like you could make the argument that it is, I think, in that I, regard. I, but to your I, first I, point, is this the best female led I don't like saying that. Is this the best woman-led um, comic book that Marvel has ever published here so in 1989 far? with Sensational Kinda. She-Hulk? I don't, I don't know what your argument against it would be. Now, I, I think mostly that's a testament to them not having given us a lot yeah, of options. Of course. But right? no, I, I still I mean, I still think it like holds up very well, like even by modern standards, like nothing, nothing here really made me cringe. There's a there's a dream sequence here where she nods off and she's a biki- in a bikini in the beach. A bikini on the beach and she finds like a string of <laughs> pearls and she follows it down the beach and finds that they're like in hercules mouth and she just starts making out with hercules like she's just having is that definitely hercules or is it just like a yeah stud? Because, i guess it probably no, no, it's hercules because her. she she brings up something about how like man like editorial really needs to bring hercules back into thor's comics because i miss okay, that guy yeah. like yeah she's really hot for hercules and it just shows that like yeah she has you know like a sexuality and sexual desire right like and it is not about like that that scene does not really like sexualize her in the moment it is about like her daydreaming over a man um yeah i actually thought i i thought burn sexualized her less than i expected him to honestly when you read these issues there's some of those covers later you know like her nude with the beach ball the like 
what can I say? I well, crave... It's a play on Demi Moore, right? The right, which I haven't read, but so, you know, maybe this comes in to play more. I mean, I know he does the stuff where, like, she's dancing around naked uh, with word bubbles covering her, and she's, like, you know, laughing at the, like, pointing out that the word bubbles are covering her up. Stuff like that, you know, he's playing with oh, that yeah. stuff. But at least what yeah, we no. read, I, I don't know, I haven't read those yet. Um, I'll be curious to see if it veers into that territory, but for my yeah. money, at least, you know, I... You know, if people disagree, that's that's fine. But for my money, I, th- I think they kind of work, and I think they kind of feel like pretty good female representation. Uh, you know, well, and, that, by, and that's what you're saying man. with West Coast yeah. Avengers that John Byrne is surprisingly good at that, given his mm-hmm. reputation in modern times for being, you know, uh, a creep and having some really like hateful kind of opinions out there. Um, and it is, it is one of those things where it's like. If we didn't know what we know about the the creator as a person today, sure. I would look back at this and really want to celebrate <laughs> this book and this work and what it is because it is. I, I think you're right. I think this is the best, you know, woman led ongoing that we've had at Marvel. Um, it's definitely doing the most interesting stuff, and I think it's one of my favorite books of 1989. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there's just that modern sort of taint on it from from what we know about the creator now. I mean, I will say too, like this is this is for my money the last good. The last potentially great John Byrne work. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what comes after this. Like, so I, I mean, I'm curious to read the uh, the Namor stuff, and I'm I'm curious about Wonder Woman. There, but there's neither Namor of them stuff in the '90s. Well, there's yeah. um there's X Men stuff that he does with Jim Lee, but he's kind of scripting, and really it's Jim Lee's baby. Spider Man. Um, so, yeah, that, that I yeah, I've so actually for me that, this is I've it. read that Spider Man, and I re- I just remembered that that I've read that and thought it was kind of disappointing. So. Um, yeah. yeah, check out oh. She-Hulk. It is on the list if you haven't already. Uh, next up for us is going to be the patron requested Uncanny X-Men By number 244. Thank you, now Dustin. for, uh, I think, $15 a month. You mm-hmm. can do it for one yep. month, and then you can drop down to whatever support tier you like over on patreon.com slash year. You can request an issue that we will add to the list for everyone to see. It's not just us talking about it. We will add this to the My Marvelous Year reading list set in stone. Now, I talk a lot about as we're going through the club that I'm updating things as we go year by year. You know what I'm not doing, though? I'm not going back. So if you add something to 1989, it's staying on 1989. And guess what? The chances of us ever revisiting that <laughs> are, like, yeah. lower I mean, than yeah, 0%. Pe- people in they the future negative. might uh, might read it if they agree through the list, but, you know, we're not going to oh, go Oh, people in the future will definitely read it, of course. We have a massive list, audience, yeah. and plenty of people are coming in all the time. But Massive you and I, audience. we will. Yes, well, I think I think the key to having a really big audience is you talk about how big it is, yeah, and you just and then you but you have a lot of confidence around that, and then you definitely don't backtrack. And talk about how you're talking about it, just to make it seem like you have a massive audience. Hey, right? that's doing, probably a no-no. Oh man, all that meta stuff—it's so funny. That's so hot right now. So hot. It's it's hotter than the weed ins. I would say. Was that this episode or was that the previous? Weed ins. You keep saying weed ins like there's many of them. Is there another weed in besides? There's a whole weed ins family. It's a well, family. I mean, I assume he has a, a family, but like I thought it was just. <laughs> he has families in media, right? He has families uh, who like his uh, his. Oh, oh so yeah, look at this. His brother Tom was the Whedon, showrunner of the John Whedon, Shield show. Jed Whedon, Zach Whedon. <gasps> oh, oh, can you read, can you do more lists of family names that we could do Samuel on the show? Whedon, Is that an Matthew option? Whedon. Oh, give me that family tree, baby. Yeah. <laughs> of a man All right. of us oh, I really like. Uh, My okay. family tree year. So let's talk about Jubilee, because that's the reason we're reading this one. It is. Post- I thought it was for Whedon family <laughs> trees. I thought that's what we were going to talk about today. Post-Inferno, 
Uncanny mm-hmm. X-Men 244. We've got Girl, Girls' Night Out, I think is the name of the issue. Um, sure which, is. Which is followed by, like, a Boys' Night Out issue, which I didn't have time to read, but I, I kind of want to go back and check that out. And line. props for the uh, the end of this issue saying, next, men. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, finally, one for the boys. Finally, yeah. at long last. Um, finally. Yeah, no, this is, uh, this is Ladies' Night Out. It's a pretty uh, famous issue in that regard. It is the women of the X-Men, as well as the... My Marvelous Year, and I believe X-Men Universe introduction of mm-hmm. Jubilee. It is, yeah. Uh, which is of Jubilation Lee. That is her actual name. Um, it is a great pick by Dustin. Thank you mm-hmm. for recommending yeah. it for the list. Now, before we dig into the contents of the issue, I do want to comment and just say, like, post-Inferno X-Men is is very, very wild, okay? It really just, like... X-Men of this era is fascinating to me because the X-Men are still in Australia. They're still in the Outback post-Inferno. But Chris Claremont's also at that point of, like, nearing the end of his run where he's just, like, going bananas with what these plots can be, honestly. Like, the issues just get increasingly kind of out there and strange. This is not a fantastic example of that because this is actually pretty straightforward by X-Men standards. Um, But as this thing progresses, especially throughout 1990, it's just, like... I don't even want to say it's like he's out of ideas. It's just like the ideas that he is selecting are really strange. It's it's and kind different of, from what you, you get come the, to expect. The, what the M Squad is that their name here? So uh, the M Squad returns here. That is a callback to I think the Ghostbusters unit we saw eaten in Inferno. I'm pretty sure. Okay, I didn't I didn't get that. This was a, a callback, but it like this whole issue. I was just like the M Squad felt so superfluous to the point of this issue. So it's sometimes with him, just, I'm just like, I, I mean, I've said this, but it's just like Claremont, like just calm down a little bit, you know, like you have enough, you've got enough good here. Like stop stuffing stuff in here. Like this is, and they're fine. Like they're fine. And they're funny enough, but it's just like the idea of the, uh, these four X-Men women going out for a night on the town. It's good enough. Yeah. And, and you didn't need to introduce this other like element of them being attacked. Anyway. I mean, I, I don't need Without that. literally any threat in the mall. So you just wanted a, they go to the mall, they have a great time, Jubilee follows them home. That's your comic? I mean, that actually... No threat, no drama. I mean, that does <laughs> sound good. Fun. I don't know. There could be yeah. something with Jubilee. I, I don't know. That, that, the, the, the M squad just seemed superfluous. But, like... I'm, I mean, it's, it is also a gag. I mean, this comic, yeah. this comic, again, like, this is a full-on comedy comics episode, and that includes Uncanny X-Men, which yeah. obviously is not tonally where x-men typically is no and, it, <laughs> you know, and it's I not all say. that like it starts out with some stuff with rogue and captain marvel because captain it's so weird it's like captain marvel is in rogue's head but not like the real captain marvel right like a copy of her consciousness right yeah because- so i don't know if we talked about this so rogue absorbs captain she tries to kill captain marvel forever ago. not intentionally like, so in, like, but this is when she's in the brotherhood yeah. of evil mutants yeah. she uses her powers on carol danvers Carol Dan- she absorbs her powers and she very nearly kills Carol Danvers, sends her into a coma, and then Rogue, she you know absorbs her for so long that she has the powers of Captain Marvel. But like you're saying, the other thing she has is she has Carol Danvers' psyche still in her head, and now it's gotten to the point where Carol Danvers can literally it's it's like I guess a multiple personalities thing, except I know that that is a actual mental disorder that is that does not function this way yeah. but it's like there's an alternate psyche of carol danvers that can take over rogue's body to the point that the x ladies around her are straight up calling her carol once carol danvers has taken over right so it's right. not it has no connection to the actual miss marvel the actual carol danvers who was out in the world like i don't yeah. think she is it's not like she falls asleep and then is in rogue's body right yeah like her yeah, yeah. Ment- her brain is in you know in her personhood essentially is inside rogue just um, v- very so that's, odd that's and then, unique and then like 
it, it, Carol Danvers' personality is leaking into, like, Rogue's decorating choices. She wakes up and finds her house decorated in a way that, like, she hates because it's Captain Marvel's, uh, you know, vibe, not hers. So she starts trashing it. And then... I gotta say, if somebody... If I if I kind of, like, passed out and woke up and somebody decorated my office, I'd, be I'd just psyched. be thrilled. Because yeah. I, I hate yeah. decorating things, you know? Yeah. I guess if they, like, threw out all my comics and decorated with other stuff, I guess that'd be upsetting, you know? So... Fair point, I guess, Rogue. Like, I guess I kind of see where you're coming from. Yeah. So, but then, like, Carol Danvers just, or the psychic version of Carol Danvers takes over her body for the rest of the issue. And everyone is kind of like, yeah, she she needs a timeout. And everyone's like, okay, Carol, just, you know. Oh, they're totally good with this. They're like, they're, you can't well, do it, The other thing, too, though, is, like, most of these ex-ladies are friends with Carol. You know, yeah, so it's right. like, it is an easier but it's, personality it's like, for it's them so to It's so weird, because it's like, yeah, we're hanging out with Carol, but then if you run into Carol, it's not like... Hey, Carol, what, remember what we did last week? Like, there's two Carols, right? You're only... Yeah, it's very. It's a very odd situation. Anyway, mm-hmm. the thing that happens is Dazzler is like, you know what we need? A girl's night out. So she takes everyone, like, makeup and uh, dress shopping at the mall. Um, Zach, can, you, out, explain, can you explain Dazzler's coloring skin? to me? What is happening? Because I, I wanted to ask <laughs> you, like, hey, did Dazzler switch bodies with a woman who is, like... At times, whose skin is darker than storms? Like, Listen, let's not rule it out, because certainly it would not be the first time we've seen it in the Claremont X-Men. But to my knowledge, this is just Dazzler's Australian tan. Her severe, severe Australian tan, which in one panel switches to Rogue. I don't know if you caught this. There's a panel where the colorist, Glennis Oliver, clearly like mixed up no, I did not. Rogue and Dazzler's <laughs> coloring. So then Rogue has this just absurd coloring on her for a single panel it's it but yes dazzler's coloring is concerning confusing yeah <laughs> it's like any number of things i just don't know what Off- it's supposed offen- to represent offensive offensive maybe i, maybe. <laughs> I, I I'm, i find it more confusing than anything because yeah, i just don't sure. know like what are we even going for here yeah that that's what i because i was like is it a tan i don't i don't know it doesn't it's really closer look like... to like a purplish hue than anything yeah i mean it's not a natural skin color i need at least Whatever one reference to her sunburn expositionally and I, I miss that if it's there. Yeah. Right? I think. Okay. So, that yeah. But Dazzler's like, hey, let's have fun at the mall. Let's go shopping. Um, I guess you, you know, you could you could say like, oh, what a trope. You know, the women only want to go shopping. But like the point here is kind of like they literally never get to do anything fun for themselves. Because yeah, they're doesn't... always in the outback and saving the world. I, did, I didn't have an issue. But again, no, I'm it did, it, No, it, re- it read is it, like, so yeah, we're all going to go buy ourselves some clothes and like hang out with each other. While we, I don't know. It, it did felt felt pretty natural to me um I so, so. i'm yeah. sorry this is rude of me to chris claremont but john burns fashions in, in sensational she hulk i loved that part like there's one page where he just gives she hulk six different outfits and it's clear that he's just like yeah i love drawing like her with cool outfits and like i'm so here for that i loved like him just like he clearly has having so much fun just drawing her in like the latest fashions and that's now are part- you into the same thing with mark silvestri doing it and, yeah uh, yes. and inks by dan green yeah, here that was good yeah mark, mark silvestri you get the same kind really of good. yeah, yeah everybody um, trying on different yes outfits. That, that's they a get fun haircuts scene and makeup that's of them, good. like, putting Storm in a dress that... I mean, like, Storm is really uncomfortable with it. You know, like, she doesn't feel totally natural in makeup, but, like... And then they bring her to, like, a Chippendales male strip club and buy Which we haven't gotten Gambit yet, dance. but boy, does that Chippendales stripper look a lot like proto-Gambit. Okay? Oh, Gambit okay. has not officially been created <laughs> in the Marvel Universe, but the dancer that's... If, if somebody wanted to retro continuity this, you know, no-prize it and say, oh, actually, that was Remy LeBeau... Uh, I would not have a problem with that one bit because it does look like him. Storm gets up on stage and dances. Of course, as she's doing this, 
M Squad busts into the the mall. M Squad is a literal um, group of humans who I think we showed up as like a Ghostbusters gag in Inferno. Now they're like, hey, just like X Factor, X Factor had the right idea, but then we found out they were actually mutants doing this really convoluted plot. But we're just actually going to do the X Factor thing and try to capture mutants. So they have like mutant hunting tech, and uh, there are a bunch of scientists who want to capture mutants like Ghost do in, in Ghostbusters. Fun fact, Zach. Tell me. Dr. Martin, real name, George Martin, named after George R.R. R. Martin, oh. who was friendly with Chris Claremont, uh, I think because of their affinity for wild cards. <laughs> the, uh, oh, the edited anthology yeah. by yeah, yeah. George R.R., R., which I really dig. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that is the, the naming convention there, or at least that's what I'm seeing on this wiki now that I check it. Uh, oh, but yeah, M-Squad shows up, and they want to... on Wikipedia now? The other doctor's names are Dr. Snodgrass, Dr. Shiner, and Dr. Milan. Would you like me to enter the other characters section of the Marvel fan? <laughs> Tell me, on do they issue? have any cousins? I love when I, I love when I go to a Marvel wiki page and I'm just like, who's this uh, odd, like tertiary character? And then it just says like family and it shows like 18 different people. And it's just like, yeah, how? What is uh, what is happening? Here? Marvel family trees get a wild. But yeah, M Squad shows up. They want to capture uh, Jubilee because that's who they find. Jubilee, uh, by the way, Jubilee lives in a mall. <laughs> And she uh, and she does like yeah, literally for kids. living in a mall. It's very good. I do love. I mean, I actually really enjoyed Jubilee's intro here because she like the security guards are furious with her. She's doing her mutant light tricks, and they're like, "Let's get her." She takes out all the cops, takes out all the security guards, leaves them on a wild goose chase. It's actually literally the opening of Wonder Woman 1984, but only the fun parts. Except Jubilee does it better. So props to Jubes. Um, but yeah, they, the M Squad shows up, and then the X ladies, of course. Enter the scene, and they and they want to stop him from getting Jubilee. It's very uh, X Men animated series opening episode, Night of the Sentinels. If you've ever watched as much, yeah. In the uh, you know, does it does a mall babe need chili fries or whatever it is? Right, it's kind of that whole that whole deal. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, fun fun issue, and I'm glad it got added. The, the thing is that like I, I this was on my radar. It's just, I mean, like I get frustrated with this with Claremont sometimes, but it is also impressive like the way that he he finished dark phoenix saga and immediately it was like all right it's time for days of future past like that's my immediate follow-up to this and he's like i'm done with inferno let me introduce jubilee another character that will just have like an incredible legacy with mutants mm-hmm. and x-men like mm-hmm. he does he does not rest on his laurels whatsoever well and that's the thing that we I, we talked about this somewhat recently because it's been in my mind a lot but just like the idea of creators being additive to I know, the Marvel Universe. You've been reading all that Hickman propaganda, I call it. Right. Every time I read a Hickman quote, I just then I try to just paraphrase it as best I can. But it's like this you add Jubilee. That is super additive to the Marvel Universe. And now Jubilee's gonna get integrated into X-Men comics. And now you've got this new mutant with interesting things that creators can do stuff with. I mean, I think, you know, I criticize Byrne for being literally the opposite additive on West Coast Avengers. His sensational She-Hulk is very additive. It continues to expand yeah. possibilities for She-Hulk that I would argue like could be retapped today in new and interesting ways, you know? So totally. I, there's a lot of value. And the damage control is like 100% additive. It's a brand yeah. new thing in the Marvel Universe. So all of these to me fit that bill very successfully, I would say. Yep. Yep. I agree. All very good stuff. Um, yeah, that's, Speaking that's, of good stuff, my we're moving on to Our own podcast, we do like to say, it, uh, we should review ourselves, I think, at the end of every episode. We should just say, is this a good podcast? Maybe that's our ending segment. It was like, hey, you want to know a good podcast? My Marvelous Year, right? Close it out that way with mm-hmm. just some like kind of inflate our own egos a little bit. Yeah. I, f- uh, I feel like we don't hear that enough, honestly. You know, you could go on over to iTunes, you could rate and review. It would help us out a good deal. I would love that. Yeah, I love reading 
checking out. I, I go there about once a week, see if we got any new reviews, and it always warms my heart when we get a new one. So, yeah, thanks. You everyone. hear that? You hear that? Warm the man's heart. Uh, next time, 1990, we were going to dig into Part 1, Acts of Vengeance. Then we were going to proceed through 1990. Now, the biggest, coolest stuff we got coming this next year, which kicks off our next decade, we got... Rebirth of Thanos and Thanos Quest. That's coming next Thanos year. Quest is Get one of my ready. favorite comics. I am so excited for that. Oh, Thanos Quest yeah. is. I think it's my favorite Thanos comic. I'm I'm hesitant to say that officially, it's but incredible. I'm pretty yeah. sure it is. Um, let's see what else do we got? We got. I mean, a whole bunch of interesting graphic novels. We got a new Ghost Rider coming by uh by guest request. Actually, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a new thing. Yeah. Danny and Ketch. uh and it's just like just interesting interesting stuff. The biggest one though. In 1990, for me, actually, the introduction of Cable to the X Men universe. Oh, I would that? not say that's the biggest, but uh, Enter Gambit as well, and then Cable. That doesn't sound like a character I know or that has much of a shelf life. If I had, you know, what's funny is every time I try to link to a Cable issue on Comic Book Herald, it's I go on Amazon and it just I'll type in like Cable <laughs> number seven, and it just gives you lengths of Cable. Seven you know, it's the worst Cable. Yeah. yeah, it is the least search friendly name. Of a character, but nonetheless, he's coming. Uh, so that's 1990. It's going to come. I'm Dave. He's Zach. We're My Marvelous Year. Music for the show is Disaster Piece. And uh, we're going to do a whole new decade. I'm excited about it, guys. Um, if you are in gals and non-binaries, that can't be right. That can't be the right way to say that. Guys and gals that, and everyone. non-binary pals. Thank you. That's much better. Uh, if you are excited as well, again, you can check us out at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Uh, you can join us in the Slack, talk about all these comics if you are so inclined. And uh, and where else can people find us? Compacarol.com, mm-hmm. at Year on social. I think that's it. That's it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, enjoy. See you next oh. year. No. Oh, see you next year. Yeah. See you next that year. That was close. Bye. Bye.